Many people, including some Christians, believe salvation is determined in part by their behavior. It's a popular opinion, but it's dead wrong. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers this problem of legalism and compares it to what is taught in God's Word. If you're ready to encounter God's amazing grace, listen as David introduces today's message, Is There Only One Gospel? Thank you for joining us today. I am so grateful to have the opportunity to come and talk with you. And uh, we're sharing a wonderful series called The Word. It's the signature series that I have put together, message that I have preached over the years about the Bible and the importance of it in our life. Nothing could be more central to who we are at Turning Point than this series. And I would love for you to um, have a copy of the study guide so that you can go through that study guide and follow along and perhaps take some of the thoughts that you heard and share them with others. You can get the study guide by going to davidjeremiah.org. There's also a set of CDs you can acquire there. And then uh, during the month, there's this very special gift book that we have produced, and it's just for the month of June because June is a critical month of giving for Turning Point. We want to say something very special to those of you who do something very special. This gift book is called Living the 66 Books of the Bible. It's a 287-page hardcover book uh, with practical application to every book of the Bible. And uh, you will love this. Uh, You will want to have it where you can get to it. You'll share it with others. I expect you will probably send us an email saying, how can I get some more of these? Because it's a very positive, powerful book. It's not just what's in the books of the Bible. It's how the books of the Bible teach you to live your life. Very practical, very powerful. When you send a gift, ask for your copy of Living the 66 Books of the Bible, and it will be on its way to you as our way of saying thank you for your investment. All right, here's the question. Is there only one gospel? And here's the answer from Galatians chapter 1. She came into my office early that morning looking as dejected and defeated as any new Christian I had ever seen. I knew that just a few weeks earlier she had received Christ as her Savior through our Evangelism Explosion Outreach Program, which we had used in our church. I had heard good things about her growth. Someone told me that she was being discipled by one of the good women in our congregation, and I assumed that her visit that day was to talk with me about some personal problem that she might have or some family problem. You can imagine my surprise when Upon entering my office, she threw her Bible down on my desk, and she said, I quit. I can't do it. I'll never be able to do it. And I said, do what? She said, do the Christian life. That's what. After what I heard last night, she said, I know I will never be able to live the Christian life. There is no sense even trying. I'm turning in my Bible, Pastor. I quit. Well, that actually took place several years ago during a crusade that was held in our church when I was a pastor in Fort Wayne, Indiana. On the night to which this woman referred, the crusade team had decided to distribute a sheet of paper to everyone who was present. And on the sheet of paper, they had listed all the sins of the flesh, plus a few other evil practices, which certainly would have gotten the attention of any young follower of Christ trying to get started living the Christian life. 
I don't remember all the items that were on the list, but I do recall that there was a place to evaluate how much time you had prayed the previous week, how much time you had spent reading the Bible, how many people you had witnessed to. I remember that I felt defeated and I was the pastor of the church. (laughs) And I found out later that some of the people who presented the list were also overwhelmed by the implications of it. It took us weeks to bring that woman back to a wholesome outlook on the Christian life. We had taught her at the beginning that Christianity was a relationship with Jesus Christ, not a bunch of rules to be followed. But that night in that crusade had almost convinced her that she was now responsible for her own standing before God. And while this event took place all those years ago, it has been replayed for me in one form or another many times since. For some reason, man has an incurable desire to replace the wonderful grace of Jesus with some rules and regulations. Jerry Bridges spoke for many Christians when he wrote, My observation of Christendom is that most of us tend to base our relationship with God on our performance instead of on his grace. In this sense, we live by works rather than grace. We are saved by grace, but we are living by the sweat of our own performance. End of quote. And writer Dudley Hall says, More often than not, what is proclaimed as gospel is just another challenge to do better. Try harder. Pray longer. Be more committed. Love deeper. Stop sinning. Be good. Be happy. No wonder the church has failed to connect with so many people out there The hurting masses of the world are seeking a cure for their ills and solutions for their problems. And too often the church has just given them more expectations to fulfill, more rules to keep, more activities to maintain, more work to do. And the result has been a trail of disillusionment and discouragement. Eugene Peterson, who has given us the paraphrase called The Message, wrote a book once called traveling light and in this book he said we might fairly suppose that a congregation of Christians well stocked with freedom stories like the stories of Abraham Moses David Samson Deborah and Daniel would not for a moment accept any teaching that would suppress freedom we might reasonably expect that a group of people who from their earliest days have been told stories of Jesus setting people free and who keep Jesus at the center of their lives in weekly worship would be sensitive to any encroachment of their freedom. That these people would be critically alert to anyone or anything that would suppress their newly acquired spontaneity. But he goes on to say, in fact, in the community of faith, the very place where we actually experience the free life for the first time if we're not careful we are in most danger of losing it in the very same place Paul's letter to the Galatian believers is proof that this problem which plagues so many of today's Christians is as old as the first century church many of you like me perhaps grew up in a church where you were considered to be a good Christian based upon your ability to live up to a certain number of things. And I don't have to give you what they are. They were different for everyone. But you were judged on the basis of your ability to do certain things and often not do certain other things. We call that legalism because it's a return to the law. 
Well, the Galatian letter was written to a group of Christians who were about ready to return to the bondage of the law. Let me tell you their story quickly. Had it not been for Paul's intervention in their lives through this letter called Galatians, many of them would have gone back to a dreary, dull legalism lived at its lowest level. You see, many Gentiles had come to be Christians during the time that Paul was preaching. Toward the end of his preaching career, Paul was reaching hundreds and hundreds of Gentiles with the gospel. But just as these Gentile Christians were getting established in the freedom of their faith, some teachers that Paul refers to as Judaizers in this text came from Jerusalem and began to teach these Gentiles that their faith wasn't complete unless it was accompanied by the law. In other words, they said, you want to believe in Jesus Christ, that's fine. But you can't have full salvation unless you add to it the observance of the Old Testament law. And especially at stake was the practice of circumcision, which was the Jewish rite. So they were trying to tell the Gentiles that really in order for them to be Christians, they had to be Jews too. And the attack was powerful against these new believers. It wasn't really original, but it was powerful. You know, from the very beginning, there always have been attacks on the gospel. Let me tell you how they come. They come in two different ways. First of all, sometimes people come and they try to subtract stuff from the gospel. Have you noticed? Well, I believe in the gospel. I just don't believe in the deity of Jesus. How do you do that? Oh, yes, I believe in the gospel, but I don't accept the Bible as the authoritative word of God. It's full of errors and it's not true. My friends, you can't do that. You can't take the gospel and pull out of it the stuff you don't like and still have the gospel. What you got is nothing. And over the years, we've been able to see that process, and we've identified it. When people start to denigrate the deity of Christ, we stand up against it. We teach against it. But the new thing in the world today is not the subtraction from the gospel. It's the addition to the gospel. The new thing is to take the gospel, leave it as it is, but add more stuff to it. Like, if you're not baptized, you can't be a Christian. You ought to know, we believe in baptism here. We baptize somebody in almost every service, but we don't baptize them so that they can become Christians. We baptize them because they already are Christians. And baptism is a picture of what has already happened to them. Let me say this clearly. You don't have to be baptized to go to heaven. And I know that for a fact because the thief on the cross went right into the presence of the Lord and they didn't have time to baptize him. So baptism is an ordinance, but it's not a work of grace. Some people say, well, you can't have the gospel if you don't have the Eucharist. Well, the Eucharist may be all right, but it's not the gospel. Communion's not the gospel. The law's not the gospel. I have a friend, a very good friend, very knowledgeable friend, who said something to me the other day. I was telling you about a book I had read written by a man who has gotten a hold of the importance of compassion in the community. And he's been giving lessons on how to deal in your community, all which is well and good. But my friend was telling me about this book, and he was so excited about it. And he kept saying this over and over again. He kept saying, you know what's so good about that, Dr. J, is it's the gospel. It's the gospel. It's not the gospel. Giving food to the hungry is not the gospel. Helping people who are poor is important as it is. It is not the gospel. It is the result of the gospel at work in your life. But it isn't the gospel. And friends, when we start tampering with the gospel, 
We do great damage to the cause of Christ. Let's get this clear, that the gospel isn't anything other than what the Bible says it is. And Paul's going to deal with that here in this passage of Scripture. Now, he begins where he had to begin because one of the things that was happening to him as this book starts is that people had begun to criticize Paul. They didn't have anything good to say that they could use against the message of grace, and they didn't like Paul, so they said, well, you can't trust Paul. He's not even a real apostle. He was born after the other apostles were gone. He's not one of the 12. And so listen how Paul begins the letter. He says, Paul, an apostle, not from men or through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul has to go after this accusation against him that he's not a real apostle because here, they're not trying to discredit him as an apostle for any other reason than to be able to discredit his message. If Paul is an apostle, then he can say what he says, but if he's not, then you don't have to believe anything that he's taught. So they went after Paul's apostleship. And Paul begins this letter by dealing with the fact that he is a true messenger of God. He is an apostle not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ. His defense of his apostleship isn't a matter of pride. He's not trying to say, well, I'm an apostle. No, his defense is born out of a deep concern for the gospel which he preached. In other words, if he is not God's apostle, then the Galatians can disregard anything he might say. So from the outset, Paul wants it understood that as a true messenger, his gospel is not from men, but it's from God. And of course, it was true that Paul wasn't one of the twelve. But his call was just as real as theirs had been. In 1 Corinthians 15, he says, And last of all, he was seen by me, Paul's writing, me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of Christ. What is Paul saying? Am I not an apostle? Absolutely. Did he see Christ? That was one of the requirements. When did he see him? On the road to Damascus, he saw Christ. After all of the rest, he was born out of due time. One of the other requirements for an apostle was they had to have received a message directly from God. Did Paul receive such a message? Look at verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. Where did he get it? He got it from God. Paul was an apostle. He was a legitimate apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, probably you've noticed that some people today say they're apostles. And if by their claim they mean that they are sent ones, which is what the word means, then that's okay. But if they think they are apostles, like the same apostles in the New Testament, they are certainly in error. Because according to the New Testament, you cannot be an apostle unless you saw the risen Lord, unless you accompanied Jesus from his baptism to his resurrection. Nobody today can say that. But Paul said it, and it was true of Paul An apostle born out of due time had every right to say what he was about to say. Now, Paul is defending his own legitimacy, his own credibility. For if he is not credible, then the rest of this is meaningless. We now understand that Paul accepts his apostleship from God, not from men. He is appointed by God as an apostle. And so he moves from his defense of the true messenger to talk about the true message. And here's what he says about the true message of the gospel. Grace to you and peace from God. Verse 3, our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, 
that he might deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Now that he has dealt with his own credibility, Paul turns his attention to the content of the message of the gospel. By the way, you can't see my Bible, but it's all marked up in this first chapter. One of the reasons is this is all about the gospel. The word gospel is in the first 11 verses five times. Paul is talking about the gospel and what it really is, and he wants us to understand the nature of it, and now he's going to define it in these verses. And what does he say about the gospel? He said, first of all, it is the voluntary death of Christ on the cross for our sin. By his own will, he says, he went to the cross. How many of you know Jesus didn't go to the cross because he was made to go to the cross? He went to the cross of his own will. When he came into this world, he prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, in the volume of the book it is written, I have come to do your will. He went to the cross as the will of the Father by his own volition. Paul says the first thing to remember about the gospel, it is the voluntary death of Christ on the cross. And then it says... It's the vicarious death of Christ. The word vicarious means to do something in behalf of another person, to do something in someone else's place. Paul says that he died, Christ died, for our sins, for yours and for mine. He died in the place where we deserve to die. He was our vicarious substitute on the cross. His death is voluntary. His death is vicarious. And thirdly, it's victorious. Notice what he says happens when he dies for us. He delivers us from the evil age in which we live. We have been delivered because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's the gospel. If you go back to verse 1, it involves the resurrection. God the Father who raised him from the dead. So what is the gospel class? It's simply this. Christ died. Christ was buried. Christ rose again. His death was in our behalf as the Son of God. It was the propitiation for all the sin of the world. And whoever will put their trust in what Jesus did on the cross will become a Christian. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the gospel. Not anything added to it. Not anything subtracted from it. It's the pure gospel of the grace of God. Now, since Christ has done all of this for us, Since he voluntarily has given himself for us, taking our place in death, rescuing us out of this evil age, how presumptuous it must seem to him, to God, when we try to add something human into what he's already done. It's like we're saying, God, thank you for the gospel, but it's not quite enough. Thank you for the gospel, but I'm not going to be able to accept this gospel unless I can add something to it from myself. The gospel is either God's gospel or it's no gospel. And Paul is saying you can't say to these new Galatian believers, you have been saved by the grace of God and the gospel is sufficient for you. Oh, but you need the law too. And it was the very thing that they were doing that so angered Paul, I need to tell you, we're going to find this out before we're done. This is a violent passage of Scripture. I mean, Paul is exercised in this passage of Scripture, more so than you've ever seen your pastor exercised in this pulpit. To put it mildly, the boy's upset. (laughs) And he's upset for a legitimate reason. It's because the Gentile... Churches were being taught that what Jesus did through his death on the cross was not enough. 
it may have been adequate for their initial salvation, but they needed something more in order to maintain their Christian life. Paul says something. Turn in your Bibles over to the third chapter. We, I just want to read the first three verses of the third chapter. Listen to how Paul deals with this. He says, listen, he says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth? Now watch this. Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified. This only, he says, here's the question I want to ask you. Listen up. He said, I just want to know this. Did you receive the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit, that you can now be made perfect in the flesh? You who think, I'm saved by grace, but i got to keep myself saved and walking with God by my own works. Paul said, are you so foolish to think that you can keep yourself in a situation you can never get yourself into in the first place? How foolish is that? You cannot be saved without the grace of God, and you cannot live the Christian life without the grace of God. There's nobody here who can live the Christian life in his own flesh, in his own strength. I've said before, the Christian life isn't hard. It's not difficult. It's impossible. Can I get a witness? It's impossible. And the impossibility of it means that only Jesus Christ living his life in you or in me can make the Christian life work. It is not by adding some regulations and some rules. And this is the way I grew up. I grew up with the rules and the regulations. Here's the problem with that. I knew a lot of people that kept all the rules. They didn't smoke, they didn't chew, they didn't go with girls who do. I mean, that's how they work, you know? <laughs> they kept all the law, I mean. They didn't violate the filthy five, the nasty nine, or the dirty dozen. I wanna tell you something, they kept them all. And some of them were mean people. They kept all the rules, and they weren't nice. I mean, as a young person growing up, I would look at that and say, you know what? If keeping all the rules makes you like them, forget it. Let's go break some, you know? (laughs) What's wrong with that? It's the idea that somehow externally you can become what you were only made to be from the inside out through the grace of God. You can no more live the Christian life in your own strength by keeping a set of man-made rules than you could get to heaven by keeping a set of man-made rules. So Paul's opening statement is clear to these questioning Galatian Christians. He's saying, it's not a matter of law and grace. It's not a matter of law or grace. It's grace and it's grace alone. And that is the only hope any of us have. We are saved by grace. If there's anything I have to do to measure up, I'm incapable of doing it because the standard is too high. But God has reached down through his son, Jesus Christ, and paid the penalty for my sin. He took the holiness test for me. And in his body, he paid the penalty for every wrong thing I would ever do, past, present, and future and offers to me in its place his righteousness. Now, friends, if that isn't grace, I don't know what it is. And his grace is available to you as well. Whoever you may be, whatever you may have done, how far you may feel, you are away from God. God loves you. He sent his son to die for you. He wants you to be with him forever in heaven. But you've got to come to the place where you're willing to say yes to him, I accept what you did for me. I acknowledge I have sinned, 
and I receive Jesus Christ's remedy for that sin, and I receive him as my Savior. Do that today. You don't need me to take you any further step by step. Just do it in your heart. You know it's right. You can begin a new life as you listen to this program. If you're a Christian and a part of the support of this ministry, as you know, this is an important month. We need your help to say thank you for your gift during this final month of the fiscal year. We want to send you a copy of this impressive book, Living the 66 Books of the Bible, Practical Application for Every Book of the Bible. It's 287 pages, it's hardback, it's beautiful, and it's motivating, and you'll want to have a part of it and what the message is all about. Ask for it when you send your gift today. See you next time. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, The Word, please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, be sure to ask for your copy of David's new book, Living the 66 Books of the Bible, and learn to better understand and apply God's Word each day. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions with notes and articles from Dr. Jeremiah's decades of study. Get the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, The Word, here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. If you're ready to go deeper in your Bible study, living the 66 books of the Bible by Dr. David Jeremiah will help. You'll learn how to identify each book's purpose, theme, challenge, verse, and prayer. And it's yours with a donation of any amount to Turning Point this month. And if you give $60 or more, you'll also receive the first volume of this series and a Genesis through Revelation DVD. To learn more, visit davidjeremiah.ca. In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. I am told that the French have a proverb that surely has universal application. They say, there is no pillow so soft as a clear conscience. Normally, we don't have to stop and think about whether our conscience is clear. If anyone's conscience isn't clear, they get the message repeatedly. That's the job of the conscience. There's another C word that goes along with clear conscience, and that word is confession. 
If your conscience isn't clear, you may need to confess the reason why. Confess to God and perhaps another person if necessary. I wish for you the soft pillow that a clear conscience provides. This is David Jeremiah encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's way to a clear conscience on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com and get your roadmap for life. Route 66, start your journey home today.